Hey everybody, what's up? It's your friend Chase. Happy to be in your ears today for another episode of the show. That's right, the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. You know this show, this is where I sit down with amazing humans and I do what I can to get the things that are in their brain out and into yours. My guest today is a legendary endurance athlete. Check this out. Among lots of other amazing feats, he has competed in five, or rather not competed in, completed five Ironmans in five days on five different islands in Hawaii. If you do not understand what an Ironman is, it is what I would consider the ultimate test of human endurance, right? 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and a marathon in a day. And my homie Rich Roll, who's on the show today, did five of those back to back to back. And here's the crazy other thing about Rich Roll is our episode is very, very low on what it takes to be an endurance athlete and very, very high on how to reinvent yourself after complete failure. He's so well spoken, so articulate on his own journey through going through a life of addiction, uh, substance abuse, depression, and falling flat on his face to rock bottom and then rebuilding himself that it's no wonder he wrote a number one New York Times bestseller about this process called Finding Ultra. He's also one of the top podcasters out there with the Rich Roll podcast. And in this episode, we go deep on those things. So a couple other bullets before I don't want to give the show away because it is Again, it's it's got like an endurance athlete and superstar on on the cover, but underneath are the pages in this podcast here. If you can think about it like that, this is really a, a story of human challenge, triumph, and reinvention. He also talks a lot about the spiritual journey, not religious, uh, not in that context, in very the spiritual journey of personal growth, what it feels like to struggle, to fail, to climb out of a very dark place and to not just survive, but thrive. He also talks about his unexpected fame as something like as a late in his late forties from not being the fastest triathlete, not being the fastest ultra marathoner, but just doing challenges that he created for himself. And in, in those challenging in discovering those challenges, how he provided inspiration to millions um, we also talk about his, not just the spiritual uh, process of his journey as an endurance athlete, but also as the transformation that he went through, not dissimilar to me, actually, in feeling like he was living the dream of someone else. He was pursuing a career, very highly educated, came from an affluent family and went into law school because that's what you do, only to realize that that was part of his his problem, part of his path to self-destruction and ultimately being sort of reborn was through the things that everybody else wanted for him. We also cover some interesting ground on parenting and helping develop, develop sort of agency and wisdom in whether you have kids or aunts or, or, or uh, nephews or nieces or just folks that, that you mentor. Uh, he's, he's really articulate about helping people create agency in the lives of others. He's also got some really interesting resources that he references, some of his own personal workbooks and things that you'll have access to. If you listen to the episode, he'll give you some places to go check those out. 
And we cover some personal diet stuff because of his journey as, a, as an endurance athlete and ultimately discovering a plant-based diet that has been very, very helpful for him maintaining I'm just a very centered guy, and he he attributes a lot of that to taking care of himself, self-care, and of which eating is obviously an important part. So, I mean, look at this is a this is a, a massive arc to the show. We lock it down. Eyeball to eyeball, felt like we were brothers from another mother over the course of this maybe 75 minutes or so. I know you're going to enjoy the show. Please give Rich a shout out on the socials. He's at Rich Roll. Uh, we cover that again at the end of the show, and of course. Send some feedback, send, shoot up a flare, let them know that you heard the episode and that you loved it. Uh, that's, of course, if you do. And in the meantime, I got to get out the way before we do a quick word from our sponsor before we get to the show. Check this out, y'all. This episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show is sponsored by Creative Life for Business. This is different than the regular old Creative Live. So whether you love, passionately love where you work or it's sort of like meh, Or on the other side, if it's a creative wasteland and you want to inspire some change in the place that you work, you're not alone. Studies say that three out of four people, that's right, 75% of people say they're not living up to their creative potential at work. If so, I want to introduce you to Creative Live's newest product. It's called Creative Live for Business. And in a nutshell, it's a way to get access to all of Creative Live's content for your entire team and or entire company and maybe bring in some much needed energy and innovation to that team or company simply by going to creativelive.com slash teams. Now, Creative Live for Business is already in service of several of the top creative firms on the planet and a powerhouse list of many of the Fortune 100 top brands. These brands care about creativity and innovation. And you know what? These companies pay for this for their employees. So it doesn't matter if you're a team of five people, 55, or, or if there's 50,000 people in the company. If this sounds interesting to you and you want to check it out, either you can check it out or refer your boss to Creative Live by sending them to creativelive.com slash teams. Remember, the most forward-thinking companies, they prioritize things like creative skills, like design thinking, leadership, collaboration, wellness. And again, with Creative Live for Business, you get access to all that taught by some of the top instructors in the world all on Creative Live. So again, you can visit or send your boss a link to creativelive.com slash teams to learn more. Welcome to the show, bud. So good to be here, man. Thank you. You are like the OG in the space. (laughs) Yes. I mean... I don't know when you started your stuff, but it was a long time ago. And I've been a subscriber to your newsletter and a watcher of your everything you've put out for like, I don't even remember when it didn't exist. (laughs) So, you know, as somebody who now kind of travels, you know, in a similar space that you do, I just want to thank you for being an inspiration and setting an example for like high quality content. Stop, stop. (laughs) No, I'm really happy to be here and and it's super cool to finally meet you. Thanks. And we were just talking before the camera starts rolling about we're we're planning for Mm. the... the, uh, Exchange of ideas, right. and well, I will be on the Rich Roll uh-huh. podcast soon. We're scheming. Um, it's a super treat to have you on the show, and I also have noticed your hard work from afar. Starting one of the first things I realized was when you ran five, five Ironmans, or you mm-hmm. did because it's more than running; it's biking and swimming. 
five in, was it five or seven days or something like that in Hawaii on all the different islands? I did this thing. This is freakish, by the way. Yeah. This is no, it was, like, this it is. It was a while ago. Well, it was in 2010. So okay. the story is my buddy, Jason Lester, who's an incredible endurance athlete and inspirational figure, a training partner of mine from many uh, uh, an Ultraman competition. I would do these double Ironman competitions. He came up with this harebrained scheme, this idea to try to complete five Ironmans on five Hawaiian islands in five days. Literally an Ironman a day, traveling island to island to island. Tell people who don't know what an Ironman so, actually is. Yeah, for those that don't know, an Ironman is a very long triathlon, <laughs> widely considered the ultimate test of human endurance, wherein over the course of one day, you swim 2.4 miles, you ride your bike 112 miles, and then you celebrate that by running a marathon all at once. Um, super difficult and hard. And, and you wanted to stack five Jason of those. Jason decided <laughs> we should do five of those in a row and in between get on airplanes and try to schlep our gear from island to island to island. So we uh, took a stab at it in 2010 um, on May 5th, I might add. So it was 5-5 five, five, um, wow. the day that we started Ba-bum. it. We ran into all kinds of crazy logistical problems. It was quite, uh, you know, in certain respects, a debacle, but also an amazing challenge and adventure. So it took us a little bit longer than five days, but we got it done. It was crazy. <laughs> it's, he's, mm-hmm. he's making it sound like it was two years, but it was actually like seven days or seven. It was like 13, six and a half 13. days. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were like losing bike parts. Like we had some people, some some beautiful people who volunteered to help us. Yeah. Um, but we didn't have a whole like yeah. crew situation dialed. We didn't know what we were doing. We're no like, private flights. The crazy and, yeah. thing was that the logistics were just as challenging. It was almost a relief to just be out on your bike doing it because yeah. we knew, oh, we have to finish by this time <laughs> because the last plane leaves the island. Right. And we have to get on that and we have to bring all our gear and then we would get to the next island and have to get to our hotel. And by the time we like ate and like took a shower, it was like the middle of the night and we had two or three hours of sleep. So the sleep deprivation started mm-hmm. to catch up to us. And we were, I mean, it was bananas, the whole thing. But I remember mm. that being widely reported and like, yeah. oh my God, who is this guy? I'm, right. I gotta meet this character, man. Um, so, and here we are, we're here. whatever, years later. Um, well, A, thanks for starting off with the kind words uh, around content. You have been putting out a ton of high quality content as well. Um, the areas of focus that I want to talk about today that, you know, it's my goal to uh, assemble world-class performers from a, a whole bunch mm-hmm. of disciplines. Um, and you have both, you know, achieved an, an amazing, amazing physical feats. You've also built a really interesting business. Um, but mostly your ideas around uh, what's possible. See the story Mm -hmm. we just talked about, Um, plant-based diet, something I'm fascinated by. Um, The the storytelling of your book, uh, and I think you have two books, right? You have a cookbook that you did with your wife, is that right? Or a sort of a plant-based, you've got your your memoir. I wrote a memoir called Finding Ultra, and then we have three cookbooks, actually. Three cookbooks, cool. Mm -hmm. Um, Not being an only plant-based eater, I have not, my confession here Mm. for you is that I have not um, consumed the cookbooks, (laughs) Um, but Finding Ultra is an amazing, uh, narrative of your life, and it's not—it's not just about you know plant-based diet. It's about your life, and then um, so I'd like to start. Let's go back in time if we can. Um, you're 
an endurance athlete, what made you want to be that? What part of you, this is a strange part of the human brain yeah. that clicks into saying, I want to run you know, a marathon plus 120 miles, or plus a, a, a marathon, bike 120 miles and run, swim two and a half, that's nuts. And you've done crazier well, stuff too, by the way. But yeah, I've done a bunch of stuff. I mean, I, I look at it all, you know, not to put too woo of a point on it, yeah. but for me, it's like all a spiritual journey of personal growth. And these crazy endurance races are like a vehicle of, for self-discovery in the same way that an artist might find that, you know, in a, in a photograph or in pursuing a photograph or a painting or making a film. Yeah. Um, the medium for me is, is the outer limits of what my body is capable of. And I think it was originally um, inspired by a couple things. First of all, I was a swimmer in college, so I had a background as an athlete. I swam at Stanford in the late 1980s. We won two NC2A championships when I was there. I was a bench warmer. I was by no means <laughs> you know, a big point scorer or a star on that team, but I competed as an athlete at a very high level. Um, drugs and alcohol destroyed that career and it really you know, cut the head off uh, me achieving my potential as an athlete. So I feel like later in life I still had unfinished business um, that I wanted to uh, you know, pursue to see what I would be capable of. And also, uh, you know, athletics aside, when I hit you know, around 40, 41, I was having a little bit of an existential crisis about what I was doing with my life. Um, there's a longer story baked into that, but basically I'd been pursuing this career in law. I was on the partnership track at a big prestigious law firm. Um, went to law at Cornell. I went right? to law at Cornell. Uh, you know, in the wake of problems with drugs and alcohol, I got sober at 31 and then spent the next nine years trying to repair all the wreckage that I'd created as a result of my drinking and using, was successful in that regard and was very much blindly, you know, just looking at that traditional equation of success, you know, partnership, car, house, like, you know, brass ring, the whole like traditional notion of what it means to be a successful male in America. Yeah. And played that out to the point where I realized that there was some emptiness in that and had this confused state about what I was doing with myself because I wasn't doing it out of a passion for the any law the, yeah. or any of that. I was doing it to prove to myself and to others that I could be a responsible, respectful person after being such a train wreck for so many years. Um, and I think trying to process what that meant for myself um, created this, this sense of confusion. And I found myself um, back into fitness as a way of spending time alone to process all of this, to try to find a way forward. There was never some conscious decision that I was gonna become this competitive athlete in my 40s and go back and revisit unfinished business. Yeah. It was really an organic outgrowth out of trying to, out of wrestling with and trying to answer these questions for myself about what I was gonna do with my life. Now, I would have, is there a relationship between your addiction to drugs and alcohol and your passion, would you call it an addiction to mm -hmm. exercise? Was it, were you trading one thing for a, a destructive thing for a healthy thing? Or was there a reconciliation process? Because you know, I think trauma in, we all have trauma in life yeah. and we all express it in different ways. And um, I'm, I'm just curious how you, how you thought yeah. about it. I think it's a little bit of both. 
Um, what you find in the ultra endurance community is a lot of people who are in recovery from yeah. some form of uh, you know abuse or 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 substance addiction, yeah. um, and I think it would be intellectually dishonest to say. No, you know, I was addicted to drugs and alcohol, but my relationship with these doing these crazy things is completely healthy. You know, right. of course, there's some compulsive aspect yeah. to that. Yeah. Um, but I found my healthier self through those pursuits. Yeah. Like for me, taking the drink was always the easy way out, yeah. and getting up in the morning to put your running shoes on or staring down the barrel of some crazy difficult workout. That's a harder choice. You know, that requires a little bit of backbone and character. Um, so for me, it's been a learning experience yeah. and it's been a positive thing, but I do have to keep those tendencies in check. You yeah. know, I'm married, I've got four kids, like four you know, left, left wow. unchecked, like I'll move into a hut and just train all day <laughs> and just think about myself. Like yeah. I'm naturally, you know, a, a, a selfish, self-seeking person. And recovery for me is about, um, you know, balancing that out against, uh, you know, everything else in my life that's truly important. So the pendulum is always swinging and I always have to kind of be doing an inventory about um, how I'm relating to the world and is that in a healthy, healthy way or is that in a very unhealthy or compulsive way? I love that you said unfinished business. Yeah. I think that was a, it's a beautiful descriptor. And do you feel that you've you know, been able to redeem some of that business that was, that was undone? Certainly, I mean, now I look back on it and the idea that I needed to redeem anything is sort of silly, you know, but certainly I have done that. I mean, I've been more successful and more, uh, you know, lauded for things I've done athletically than I, than I ever was when, when I was truly at my athletic peak. Yeah. Um, so that's been fascinating and unexpected and, and completely bizarre. Like I got into these events like I said, as a sort of spiritual odyssey to mm -hmm. learn more about what made me tick. Um, the fact that anybody else would care about that other than maybe my wife, you know, has been a strange journey uh, and a story I'm happy to now tell, yeah. but one that was not intended and very much unexpected. Well, let's keep telling it. Yeah. So you, there's this desire to pursue some spiritual awakening 40s, you can call it a midlife crisis. Why I want to pull mm -hmm. on this is it's not not a surprise here. There are a lot of people who have pursued a, a path, often the path, whether it was law or medicine or a, you know doing what your what your father or mother did because it was mm -hmm. easy. There's a lot of people who are listening and watching right now who are playing this out and saying, "Oh my gosh, this is me. I'm in the middle of my life and thinking, what have I done? I've been living the dream mm -hmm. that somebody else." you know, had for me, I'm pursuing somebody else's script, it's time I gotta write my own. So share us, share with us your, your version. How do, you, how do you reconcile those things and get started with the next chapter? I wish I could give you the three bullet points. Yeah, three, you know, here's three how points you, do it. you need to know, kids. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for me, it was a long, drawn out, painful experience. Um, and like I said, you know, getting out on my bike or getting out on the trail to run or jumping in the pool or the ocean were almost uh, ways of, of, of connecting with myself the, in the best way that I could, like that, that 
that time alone. Like I wasn't at the time an active meditator and yeah. I wouldn't say that those training sessions were meditation proper, but they were an active meditation that allowed me to connect with myself in a deeper way, in a yeah. way that I wasn't used to, that allowed me the space and the time and the bandwidth to really sit with my discontent and really ponder what a future might look like. And what I get to do now was not the result of some grand scheme that I concocted while out on the bike. It's really been an organic outgrowth of me making a, a fundamental decision to just start doing what felt right to me, yeah. to follow my instincts and my intuition, irrespective of whatever the peanut gallery had to say about it or what whether society was gonna you know, launder me with social approval or not to just say, look, I, you know, I, don't, I don't care. Like, I, like, I like what it feels like to jump in the pool. I like what it, what, what it feels like to have the sun on my shoulder on a trail run at dawn. And I'm gonna just keep doing that in a very childlike way. Like, it's like play, you know? And yeah. as we grow up, we're taught, well, this is things we don't do anymore. Yeah, this as is mature, yeah, respectful adults. Immature or not responsible exactly. or... And I just decided that I was gonna do it and I was gonna listen to that muse and I was gonna entertain it. Not because I thought that I would find some career path baked into this, but just because, you know. And I think by continuing to double down on that, ultimately, you know, the path has sort of been laid forward in front of me, brick by brick, to figure out what to do next. Um, but it's been very difficult, like, financially incredibly insecure. We almost lost our house. I've had cars repossessed. Like it was not this, you know, upward trajectory yeah. to, you know, having this podcast and getting to sit and talk to you today. Like there were a lot of dark moments of the soul and a lot of, you know, questioning whether I was an insane person because everyone around me was saying, what are you doing? Like you, you could be practicing law. You could be doing all these things. You could be making all this money. Like what you're chasing this crazy fool's errand. You have kids. You're being irresponsible. So it took a lot of faith and, um, and really conviction in order to kind of stay true to the path. Was that a muscle that you'd always had? No. Or was that a not. muscle that you had to develop? And if you had to develop it, what was your process? Definitely not a muscle that I always had. I, I, I wouldn't consider myself an entrepreneur type personality. I was reared very much as a safety seeker, like just get into the best school and like, you know, take that path, that well-trodden path, you know, that, that is laid out for men, you know, respectable men of your pedigree. Like I grew up upper middle class. I went to really nice schools. I have parents that took care of all of my needs that are still together. I wanted for nothing. And this was kind of the trajectory that all of my peers were on. It never occurred to me to veer off of that until I was, really like almost soul sick and felt like I had no other choice but to do that. Um, so for me, it was very unfamiliar. It was almost like I had to shed a skin and grow a new one. And my process was hardly methodical, but I would say that my wife um, really was my greatest teacher through this process. Like she just had my back. Even when things just so looked crazy, mm -hmm. she was like, and I was like, I gotta go make some money like the way that I know how to. She'd say, no, like you need to keep doing what you're doing. 
we will figure this out, but the path forward and the way through all of these difficulties is not to retreat and trace your steps backwards, but to continue to blaze forward. And I think without that support in the home, I don't know that I would have been able to keep going. So, you know, do you think great credit is, is, to her. is she important for you as the person that she is, or is it important that when people are trying to go on the same journey that you've been through, that there are people that are in their corner? Mm -hmm. Like, I, is, it, is, it, is that mentors? Is it a partner? Is it a buddy? Is it, yeah. a, of course, ideally it's your spouse because it sounds like she's, mm -hmm. she, you know, it's a very powerful force for you. But I'm thinking to everyone that doesn't, what's your wife's name? Julie. Okay, to everybody who doesn't have a Julie at home? Yeah. Can you give a... I think, I think it's super critical and important to find uh, like-minded souls who, who support your vision for yourself and hold that space for your best self and believe in you. Um, I think you need to balance that with other people who can give you the hard feedback about yeah. when you're going off track or being a crazy person who can give you the hard truth because cheerleaders alone are not going to get you there. You need, you need both. You, yeah. know, you need the tension between the aspiration and the grounded reality in order to find yourself. And I think if you, I think we all need, I think the word mentor I find to be problematic because there's a formality to it right. and everyone you know, chases the fancy name people. I want you to be my mentor. I think everybody has people in their community who, who you know, can be um, a source of, of truth and education. Yeah, and if you don't, you got to yeah. find those people. Right, by you the should way. find and seek them out. They're all around you, you know. And if you can't find them in your neighborhood, you can find them online, and you can have a virtual relationship with somebody. But I think it's super important to have a board of directors. You know, I have people in my life, as I'm sure you do too, that I call and rely upon for every facet of. I was on the phone, you know, this, I was on the phone this morning. It's, you know, marriage yep. or parenting yep. or profession. You know, all of these things. Uh, I think it's important to surround yourself with people who um, who are living the life that you aspire to have in certain categories and have and are di further down the path than you. You found both the tough love and the cheerleader mm -hmm. in Julie. Yeah, it sounds like. Um, tell me, what are some of the things that you heard from her that were surprising? You just shared one, which is like. It's now it's not the time to retreat, now it's the time to go through. Right. What were some other, was there some themes or some commonalities that you were like, okay, she's got my back. This is what she said this to me four or five right. times now and I know, fill in the yeah. blank. We were just getting crushed financially. <laughs> I mean, it was, looking back on it now, it's almost comical. Like. We, we, it's we only like, comical because you can't look like, back on it, right? Exactly, <laughs> because we're on the other side of it. But yeah. like I said, like cars repossessed and, and you know, we had our trash bins taken away. I mean, really like embarrassing, demoralizing stuff. Um, and what Julie, Ju, the, what Julie taught me through this whole process was how to maintain your equanimity. Like your, she would say, your job is to be completely neutral. Like, can you, because that is like the Jedi path, right? That is like true power, to be a warrior in the eye of a storm like that, yeah. when everything's coming at you and you feel like life is out of control. 
If you can be neutral and maintain your integrity, your peace of mind, and your equanimity, that's like a superpower. So that was something that I observed in her that I tried to hone within myself. I mean, I remember when the repo guy came to take my truck away and she came out and greeted him in the driveway and she said, oh, hey, I'm, I'm Julie, like, would you like some tea? Do you want to come in? Like, she was super nice to him. And he was so confused. He's, <laughs> He's like, like, wait, wait a minute. What? Yeah, <laughs> I know. Do so, I, are you know, they gonna murder me if I go in there and right. have tea with these people? Who are these crazies? The other thing is to <laughs> understand that, that if you're being visited with these kinds of difficulties in your life, mm -hmm. um, to detach from the notion that this is failure or a referendum on who you are as a person, but rather to look upon it as an opportunity. This is your divine moment. We are here on earth to grow, to expand, and these are lessons for us. So our job is to pay attention and to find the nugget of wisdom within that and to grab onto that and figure out the path forward. Wow. Yeah. So I, I can't overstate the, um, the thread throughout you know, the hundreds of interviews that I've personally done mm -hmm. with you and folks like you and, and others that I've listened to on your show and others that that having community, if you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, mm -hmm. you know, have you looked around and look, looked at who you're spending time with? I think that is, is such a common thread. I also will jump on the same bandwagon, like the whole mentor thing. I get people asking me to be their mentor all the time, and it's just like, sorry, I don't even know you, mm -hmm. but here's a community, and creating a community and a community atmosphere where you can learn, you know, the fact that, that um, we're in a world where this information is available for free. Mm -hmm. um, to me, I think that's just, I wanna restate that because I think you said it much more eloquently than I did, but it's, it's really, really powerful to have, and not necessarily a person, but just a, a set of people that you are inspired by, that you respond to, that you want to emulate. And the question I have out of all this is, if you're around these people they all have they all have their own identities and you're learning from you know this person online or this person in your life how did you find the part of you in all of that how did you how did you not just become a reflection of julie if she was your rock in this time how did you find you wow that's a that's a great question that's a hard question it's my job. I mean, I think I'm, <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, I think I'm still trying to find that. I don't know that I have arrived in that place. I don't know if anybody truly arrives in that place. Like, if I had to say, Chase, you know, who, are, who are you to find yourself? I said, you're such a great yeah, host, you can grab the show. And, I'm gonna and flip do it. it on you. Um, no, I'll, 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 let me try and answer it. Okay. No, actually, no, I want you to go first, and no. then I, I, will, I will follow, but you, you should try and answer it, don't deflect, you go. Do you smell that? There's like yeah, beautiful. There's someone, like, we're, there's we're, like a bakery or something. Yeah, someone just kicked on the the like pancakes buns. or the cinnamon buns. Uh -huh. Oh my goodness! If you're at home listening and watching, I'm so bummed. You can't smell how good it smells in this uh, this beautiful spot that we're in here in the Ace Hotel. There was a defining moment for me in this whole journey, and it was after I had done. Um, the five Iron Man thing. And I was noticing that 
the media was taking an interest in what I was doing, which, as I mentioned earlier, was kind of a bizarre thing because I was just doing this for myself. Um, CNN, Sanjay Gupta came to my house, did like a piece on me, and and they asked the people at CNN asked me to write a guest blog post for CNN.com, which I did, and it's a little like here's my story. Um, and that got published, and it was tracking so well that they put it on the CNN homepage, and it became like the most emailed story for, I don't know, 48 hours or 72 hours, something like that. Like it just hit a nerve, and it like tracked really well. And I just got shellacked with emails <laughs> all of a sudden. I mean, this was really <laughs> like, I had never been like a public person in any regard. And some of these emails that came in were just so touching and unbelievable. Like I told my story in a vulnerable way and it gave people permission to then tell me their story. And I got these long, you know, multi-paragraph emails like this is what happened to me and this is what I went through and here's my struggles and my pain. And I was just so touched at the feeling of trust that these people had. And I think it was very emotional for me to like read all these emails and it made me realize that the path forward for me and where I can really serve is to be a cipher for these people on the path to transformation. If I can be like a home base or a safe place for them to come to, to confide in or to look to for inspiration and guidance for what the next step for them might be, that perhaps I had something to say in that regard. And so building upon that has really been, um, you know, what I've done ever since that moment. It's interesting that there is, there is a true north inside of you. You, you, you access that through vulnerability, right? You, mm -hmm. you wrote your story out and people responded to it and that gave you a feeling and it was the feeling that you looked at like, wait a minute, this is a sign yeah. <laughs> that I'm doing the thing. You talked earlier about intuition. Um, is that the same feeling, your, this awareness that you had once you'd put your, you had to take the first step, obviously. Right. Because CNN says, you want to write this, you say, nah. Then you might not have captured it. But you did, and then you, there was that response, and the response was just like, oh my God, A, I'm not alone, B, I like this feeling probably, right. and maybe, it sounds like that's one of the things that clued you off to like, I can be a home base, maybe I can be a home base. Well, I was very aware that the vulnerability was the thing that people were connecting with. And when I got the opportunity to write a book, I understood that that had to be like the key sort of through line throughout the entire narrative. Because let's face it, like I'm not, a, I'm not like, it's not like I won some world championship. Like I've never won a race. Like I've done some crazy things in ultra endurance, but there's plenty of athletes out there that are a lot better than me, that are more talented than me, that are more that are more accomplished than me. So why am I giving an why why am I being given an opportunity to write a book? Like it's weird, right? It doesn't on on paper it didn't really seem to make sense. And so I was very aware that the only reason that people would would connect with my story was going to be directly related to the extent to which I was willing to be vulnerable and talk about things that you know, aren't so comfortable and yeah. that I'm not that proud of. So the process of writing it really was one of just getting into the mindset of, of 
private journaling. Like I had yeah. to, I had to make it like a diary that no one was going to read, and then I would have these moments where I'm, I can't like, believe oh my I'm god, this is wait, this is going to be a book? Like, <laughs> and I would freak out and be paralyzed for you know several days. Um, but in retrospect, looking back, like I know that that's why the book has been successful because it's the humanity, because everybody can find some aspect of their own journey in you know my pain points or my struggles and you know my story isn't that remarkable mm -hmm. the things that i've gone through many people have gone through far worse than yeah. what i've had to endure to get to this place um, but i think there's there's an integrity in that honesty and i think people respond to that and they know when it's real do you think that that, that true north or that beacon that thing that's inside of in this case, we're talking about you, mm -hmm. that was inside of you. Is that inside of everybody? Or is that something you have to find? Is it natively there? Do you have to create it? Where, how, how do people understand <coughs> their, their true north? I don't know that there's only one true north. Maybe there's many for people. Um, but I think the process of trying to unlock that or discover that within oneself um, is a journey of self-discovery that requires rigorous self-honesty and rigorous um, uh, adherence to one's personal truth. And I think a lot of people are walking around not understanding what that is for themselves. Like, what do you mean my personal truth? Like, yeah. I'm just going to work, man. I'm trying yeah. to like, you know. Make a buck, bro. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so in order to really connect with that, I think it's an inside job. Like. You can go out and ride your bike all day, or, or you know, do jujitsu, or lose a bunch of weight. But ultimately, it's about your relationship with you, and that will be revealed to you only in the in the moments in which you are allowing yourself to get quiet enough, where you can shut off the thinking brain, where you can become an observer of your own thoughts and connect with your own consciousness, and in that relationship as it develops through meditation or mindfulness practice or whatever um, strategy you employ, uh, I think that your higher conscious will tell you who it is and what it wants to be. And then your job then becomes piecing that together slowly over a very long period of time. For you, was that? Does that sound too obtuse? Not, not only is yeah. it not obtuse, it's poetic. It was beautiful. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of just like letting it land there. So, for you, was that the trail? Was that that moment of quiet, the time, the reflection? Was that the trail and the ocean and the the path? It was all of those things, yeah. and it was meditation, and it was connecting with my body for the first time in a really long time again. It was about learning how to connect with my instincts and then trust them. Yeah. Um, and these are all things that, that I originally started to learn about as a result of getting sober and being in 12-step and understanding that you know, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. Like These are all crazy foreign concepts to me. I had a decade you know, spent in church basements and <laughs> you know, yeah. with fellow alcoholics and drug addicts to um, acquaint me with some of these concepts that I then started to delve, delve deeper into. And you know, the physical you know, aspect of these things that I've done 
are just one avenue of exploration for that, yeah. but I think there's many, and you know, it's different for, for everybody. You talked about meditation, mindfulness, yeah. exercise, a church basement. Any others come to mind? It can be your faith-based community. It can be your relationship with your kids. It can be sitting in a cave. It can be a Vipassana retreat. It can be, uh, you know, like I just said, learning jujitsu. It, yeah. it can be going out in nature and taking, taking photographs. It can be what you do. I think um, it's about finding what lights your own spark and then trusting your instincts enough to pull on that thread and continue to follow it uh, with the understanding that, that more will be revealed to you in time. So, uh, was it, is it a Rumi quote? I don't remember. I'm going to botch this, but it's fair to say, I'm going to try and summarize mm. with someone else's quote, <laughs> that you don't have to see the whole staircase, you just have to find the first stair. I think that's super profound. I think um, so many people, especially in this kind of self-help rubric or universe that, yeah. that we're kind of part of, yeah. um, everybody wants to know all the steps before they begin. Because then they're gonna decide, they're gonna say, hmm, yeah. if it has to get hard and I have to sweat and cry right. and bleed for this, I'm not sure I want it, so can you show me what it looks like around the corner? And most of the people that I know right. that are any good, they're like, sorry there, right? that's just, you gotta take the first, you, know? you gotta take the first step. Yeah. I mean, use, use running as an example. Like, well, like what watch do I need? What shoes do I need? Well, I need my training plan. Is that the right training plan or should I do this training plan? Which race should I sign up for? It's analysis paralysis that keeps people stuck forever because they want to understand the entire journey from beginning to end. Yeah. And what they're failing to realize or understand or embrace is that, is that the beauty of the whole experience is in the unknowing. That's where the faith comes in. You take that first step and it's just fog in front of you. You don't know and you have to trust and you have to be willing to take that leap of faith into the unknown and believe that you will be caught, that you will be cradled somehow. And that's scary, yeah. it's frightening, you know? It was frightening for me. Um, but that's the magic, man, you yeah. know? And I don't wanna deprive somebody of that experience because that's where all the beauty and the self-understanding and the faith and the sense of self comes from. You have four kids. Mm -hmm. How are you, how or what are you doing to imprint some of this just gold into their lives? Is there a parent, I don't know <coughs> if this is parenting advice or it's just yeah. a comment or a, a sort of a trying to understand humanity, but how are you? Well, the chances of them listening to this are low. No, trust me, they're not gonna listen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they couldn't be less interested in, in anything that I'm doing. Um, but- what are, their, what are their ages? So, in the, if you're so, the, uh, so I've got two boys that are my stepsons okay. that I've lived with since they were three and four, but they're now 22 and 23. And they've moved out of the house. Okay. They're musicians in a band with my <coughs> nephew, their cousin. Uh, and they're working on their first album. So they're okay. pursuing their dream. Yeah. And they're incredibly talented. I have no doubt that they'll be successful. They're kind of embedded into the music scene of East Los Angeles. And it's super cool to, to see them cool. fully engaged in what they want to be doing with their lives. Uh, then I've got two daughters that are 15 and 11. 
15-year-old daughter. It's a tricky, that's <laughs> a tricky universe. Um, and she's a visual artist, and she goes to uh, an arts high school in downtown Los Angeles. Uh, that's required our family to kind of reconfigure how we live because it's very far from our other house. So my wife and I are now splitting time staying in an apartment that we rented that's proximate to the school so that we can be in full support of her dream. Wow. So putting our money where our mouth is, yeah. as we were saying, yeah. like, you know, before the podcast started. Yeah. I was like, whoa, that's a big move. I was, Man, telling, like yeah, I was telling Chase how, how <laughs> I've spent half the week in downtown LA, which is where we're recording this right now, um, to be in support of our daughter. And I can't be somebody who, who is a public-facing individual telling people to pursue what's in their heart if I'm not actively engaged in supporting my own daughter and doing that. So. That's made our lives a little bit complicated right now, yeah. but it's been cool. And then our other daughter's 11, and she goes to school back near our other house. So life is, you know, not simple, but it's also yeah. beautiful. And I can't say that I have all the parenting answers. I think if there's one piece of parenting advice that I would give that has been helpful and has worked for us, um, it's that we have chosen to... Um, treat our kids like conscious, sentient individuals from a very young age, rather than talk down to them like little kids, to uh, give them a sense of sovereignty and respect at an early age in an effort to um, uh, urge them or prompt them to develop their own personal sense of self and, and um, and self-esteem at an early age. And I think that that has worked out quite well so far. Agency. Agency, correct. That's yeah. the word I was looking for. Yeah, it's just, it's, mm -hmm. it's weird that that's not a, uh, that's not a, a product that is widely taught. Right. You know, the school system, if you look at the traditional, and I was It's quite raising, the opposite. Yeah, I was raised in, in uh, middle, lower middle class family. I didn't also want for much but I also had like Nikes that had upside down Nike swooshes and I didn't really uh -huh. understand the difference until I did one day and I was like, wait a minute, how come my Nikes are upside <laughs> down? How come my Adidas have four stripes? But as far as the basics, I, I had them. But the concept of age, and none of my parents, my parents are amazing, loving, they're still together. I was an only child, so I basically had the attention of my parents. But it wasn't like I was, oh hey man, this is a thing, you have agency, you can do whatever. They were very practical. They were very supportive when I told them mm -hmm. what I wanted to do. But it's weird to me that we don't have culturally embedded the idea of agency and choice and autonomy and sovereignty, some of the words that, that you used right there. What, what, what are we doing wrong? So we're doing so many things wrong. I mean, our whole education system needs to be upended. You know, it was founded on these, uh, you know, in era of industrialization ideas about how to create a healthy worker for the system. Yeah. And now we're all carrying supercomputers around in our pockets that can tell us the answer to any question that we have, and yet we have an educational system that's founded upon memorization and like rote um, skills that I think the relevancy have now been called into question. And what we need to do is teach children agency teach them how to think for themselves, teach them how to be um, creative in their problem-solving skills, how to be 
team members and team leaders, like all of these things that I think are essential to being successful in our modern life are just not even part of the conversation when it comes to education. Yeah. And I find that disheartening. It puts more pressure on the parents to instill those things in the kids. And kids that have you know, solid parents are gonna get that. But I think it should be the responsibility of our educational system to be teaching the, the life skills yeah. that I never learned yeah. when I was growing up. Yeah. That's part of the reason that Creative Live exists because I didn't yeah. see that in the world. Right. Um, Can you imagine being like 12 or 13 years old and being able to open up a laptop and like learn about the world with all this free content of amazing wise people teaching you whatever it is that you want to learn? Like that was not available no. to me. No. And what is the impact of that on culture and society and a young person's mind? Is college relevant anymore? For certain people it is, but I think for a lot of people it isn't. Yeah. There are so many new and innovative ways to learn and I think we're becoming more and more a skill-based and a freelance-based economy. And that's very different from the traditional programming of the typical university or coll collegiate structure. Yeah. And yet those institutions have yet to uh, you know, kind of um, mature to what's actually happening right now. For sure, they're, they're actually disincentivized. Yeah. They have billions of dollars worth of real estate and they need you to physically come and stand mm -hmm. there. And there's sure there's benefits for in-person community. Of course. IRL, you know, all, all about it. But not everything and not all the time. Um, yeah, you're speaking my language for sure yeah. when you're saying these things that, you know, that system's based on the factory, which was a Prussian system that was invented in the 1800s yeah. for moving people effectively through a, right. a line and training whether they're soldiers or the Industrial Revolution. You want a, a factory that's aim is produce widgets that all mm -hmm. look the same, act the same, and go do a, a rote job. 99% of those which are, don't exist anymore. Right. All, that, all that is so true. You said something interesting. It's like the job of, you know, you know a job of parents is to, to teach their kids these things. And I think there's a lot of people just like clicked for me while you were talking that it's not just the parents and the kids because the people who are listening to this, most of them are the adults. Mm -hmm. And there's the same mentality is present in well, you, you, it was 41, right? Yeah. And so if, if you're listening and any of this is resonating with you, um, it's not just about your 13-year-old daughter. This is, could be about you as well, you know? And I know, you know you, we happily skirted my personal story, but I'm gonna bring it back here. As, as I did all of the same stuff you're talking about, the you know the the same track the culturally approved mm -hmm. go to college I also was an athlete soccer scholarship all the right things checked the boxes mm -hmm. one you know got up high fives from the right people and yet at you know early twenties felt so lost so confused and it was actually the deep um, shame that I felt by letting down all of the people in my life that I'd basically been telling a lie uh -huh. to for years. And I, and I, I, I did not have a rough or a sad, I mean, you know, it was, it was fine. But I was definitely not doing my thing. Mm -hmm. I was doing somebody else's thing. And it was the shame and the guilt and the ultimate overcoming of those things that 
as soon as I had said, hey, you know what, this whole like doctor thing, I could give two shits about being a doctor. Mm -hmm. In fact, it sounds terrible. Right. I remember all those volunteer <laughs> hours that I had to do to get into medical school. Uh -huh. They do those for a reason because you need to really love it, and I hated it every second. Every second I was at the hospital, I hated it. And, and the <laughs> moment that you decide to trust yourself yeah. and follow your gut and your instincts, you're overwhelmed with guilt that you're letting other people down. For sure. And that you're not entitled to be able to do that for yourself. And I, I did a lot of extra school outside of it. I went to graduate school mm -hmm. and did a lot of things that were dancing around the thing that I knew was my truth. And I was basically juggling and hopping on one leg and being a monkey for the mm -hmm. other people in my life who are lovely people, beautiful, supportive, I mean, it's not like there, no one was holding a gun to my head, no one was saying, but it was yeah. just like culture. And I'll also say it's really, I'm born white, I'm born male, yeah. born in America. Let's just straight up acknowledge the, the, the privilege. Radical <laughs> yeah, privilege. Yeah. And so if I'm sitting here like boo-hooing, poor me, how hard this was to just tr finally realize I was living someone else's lie and tell the people that remember that money you spent for me in graduate school or whatever, like that's all wasted. Because yeah. I never wanted to do it from day one. And I had to do it to figure it out probably, but like that for every one of those aspects of me, there's more guilt and shame around. And you know what, can you imagine if I didn't have both my parents or if yeah. I was, you know, actually poor like, and came from a, you know, I, I wasn't uh, white and male and you know, all these advantages. Like, so I had all kinds of guilt and stuff piled onto that. And I will, what I'll confess here is that it was in playing through that, just actually, okay, I just told my parents I'm not gonna do that. And I'm, I'm looking at my, my student loan debt and it says $67,000. Mm -hmm. And you sit in that for a little bit, you're like, you know what, I can actually be okay with this. It wasn't like that, mm -hmm. I just I don't wanna gold plate this thing mm -hmm. because it was a lot of pain, but I want to know a little bit about yours. That was mine. How were you, did, did you have to sit, you mentioned 10 years in church, church basements. Was that the sitting with the, the fact that you disappointed the, all those things that helped you find your true north? You talked about it being on the trail. You talked about not knowing everything but knowing one thing. Can you tell me what it was like to? Yeah, it's been kind of up and down like this. I mean, you know, I grew up, um, in a very education-focused household was definitely a top priority. Um, and I struggled academically for a long time and then finally figured it out when I was in high school. And What was it that you figured out? I figured out that although I wasn't academically gifted, I realized that I had a capacity to, to be a workhorse. Um, and that's something that I've used as well in the pool and yeah. in sports that, you know, I'm not the smartest, I'm not the most gifted athletically, but I know how to fucking work yeah. and I know how to suffer and I'll get it done. You know, I can outwork the guy next to me. And that, that served me in the classroom, served me in the swimming pool and all these other areas of life. And, and I was able to kind of stake my claim on that character trait so by the time I was graduating high school, I was top student in my class. I got into like every college I applied to, all the fancy schools. 
and was also a top swimming recruit. So I had my pick. And I went to Stanford, which was like number one school, number one swimming program. Like the world was my oyster. Like it was just this clear skies ahead, upward, upwardly mobile trajectory for me. And, uh, and then enter drugs and alcohol. And that just, you know, completely screwed me up, sent me down, you know, a, a dark path for many, many years until I met my maker with that and was forced to get sober. But along the way, had really destroyed a lot of relationships and trust with a lot of people, um, had you know, decimated my career. You know, basically, there was a lot of wreckage in my path. So I went from this guy who's clear like, set. this guy's going to be guys. a senator to, <laughs> you know, to, to dirtbag status, and then had to inch my way back to regain that trust. So even, so when I got sober, and I'm being introduced to these spiritual concepts, and I'm being forced to confront the truth of my actions, and I'm trying to connect with myself for the very first time. I mean, when you medicate throughout your entire adolescence and 20s, uh, you're creating a barrier between you and your consciousness the entire time. Yeah. When you finally remove that, you're this bundle of nerves. You don't know who you are. It's very confusing and disorienting. And it took many years of me trying to figure out, like, who am I? What makes me tick? Um, and during that process, uh, I still was very attached to this idea of the American dream, not because I had some passion for it, but it was really an external pressure of like, I need to prove that I can, that I'm not this dirtbag, that I can be this respectful person, that, that that person that I was in high school, that you know, I can show my parents and everybody else that, that that's truly who I am. Um, but that was all bullshit. Yeah, that was know? the law school. Right. Path, right, and it took me a decade to understand that for myself yeah. and to let go of that, which is terrifying. You know, like let go of this idea that you premised your entire life on for as far back as you can remember is a sense of free fall. I'm sure it's what you, yeah. you know, experienced. Exactly. And, and, uh, and when you're a safety seeker like I was, there's always, you always know what the next thing is gonna be. Like you're kind of going from here and then this is what you do and then this is what happens. To let go of that and have no true north or no, no sense of what that next step is gonna be is, was scarier than going to rehab. It was scarier than you know, any of the endurance races that yeah. I've done. It's a sense of disorientation that um, is really hard to describe. Thanks for being so vulnerable oh. and for sharing that. That's I don't know if I answered your question. You nailed it. Oh man, like in spades. Um, that I, I love the journey of moving from there into, you know, your the physical fitness and the um, f and finding ultra your 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 memoir. Let's talk about the plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge part of what I understand externally as something you identify right. with. Um, can you give me, is it a personal philosophy? Is it a, um, is it a health-based philosophy? Is it all those things? Some, none, like, give me the, give me the little <coughs> plant. Cause I'm like, rich roll, plant-based everything. And you've got, you know, great merchandise and. Right, well, <coughs> you're, you're, you know, I, I would sit like, rather than slap a label on it yep. and say, this is how I identify, it's probably better to just tell a story. Great. And, you know, that story is very wedded to, you know, the story that I've been telling you, which is 
uh, you know, throughout my 30s, sober, trying to repair my life and establish myself as this respectful person, I had taken a lot of those addictive alcoholic tendencies and placed them not on fitness, but on work. I was very mm -hmm. much a workaholic. And um, so much so that by the time I was 39, I was 50 pounds overweight. I was never like a big morbidly obese guy, but I was like a hefty, heavy guy who was essentially a couch potato. Like I hadn't, despite the fact that I'd been this athlete in college, I was not taking care of myself physically. I was just working and, you know, subsisting on fast food and, you know, shitty lifestyle habits and the like. So by the time I was 39, you know, I was kind of like a wreck physically. And that's when I was having this existential crisis. Yeah. So I'm confused about what I'm doing with my life. And that, this, this kind of perfect storm percolated that in which this existential crisis that I was having collided with a health scare where I was walking up a simple flight of stairs to go to bed after a long day at work one evening and had to pause. I mean, I don't want to be overly dramatic about it, but like I had tightness in my chest and, and you know, as somebody who thought of himself as an athlete, to have to like take a break walking up a flight of stairs because you're out of breath was like, this what, isn't like, I'm like here? 30, yeah. I'm not that old, you know, 39, <laughs> um, you know, sweat on my brow and kind of buckled over. And it was a symbolic moment in which I realized that the way I was living my life was just untenable. Like I needed, it was another bottom for me. It was similar to the day that I decided to get sober. I had this palpable, strong sense that once again, I was having one of those moments that, um, if I had the awareness and the presence of mind to really feel in that moment could be a catalyst for another major lifestyle change. Like I, I was very aware of that in that moment. Wow. And I didn't know what that meant. All I knew is that I needed to jump on it and take advantage of it right away or it would pass. Like that day that I went to rehab, if I decided, well, maybe tomorrow, you know, who knows, you yeah. know, what would have happened? Like I, I knew that there was an urgency to it and that urgency required some specific actions that needed to be undertaken. And for me that translated into like, I went immediately into like this seven day juice fast cleanse thing. Not because like, I felt like I needed to, I had toxins that, you know, whatever. <laughs> like I just needed to do something hard. Yeah. You know, I was like, Massive this, action I'd never gone a day without funny. eating food. I was like, this, <clears throat> this is like going to rehab for food and lifestyle. Um, and it was hard, it was very yeah. difficult. But at the end of that seven day period of basically just subsisting on juice, fruit juice and vegetable juice, um, I had this resurgence in vitality that was kind of amazing. Like I couldn't believe that after a week of not eating, I suddenly felt better than I'd felt in as long as I could remember. And that triggered me into this journey to try to find a way of eating that would allow me to feel that way all the time. And that was a messy experience of many months of trying lots of different things, but ultimately settling into eating a plant-only diet. That was the one thing that I tried that actually allowed me to feel vital throughout the day in a very balanced manner in a, in a, in a way that, I, that surprised me. I yeah. wasn't expecting that. Right. So my you adoption- seek, You didn't I, seek. I wasn't like, no, I'm gonna be this vegan now. Like I was just trying to find a way to feel good. Yeah. It was very much a selfish health oriented yeah. goal. Um, eating plants worked. 
And so I've just been doing that ever since. Yeah, when you find something that works for you. Yeah, right. and, and so it's important to me that, that people understand that I'm not coming from this super dogmatic place. I've been doing it now for 12 years and it still works great for me. And I promised myself that if at any point um, I came to a crossroads where I wasn't feeling good or it felt like something was awry or amiss that I would be intellectually honest about that and address it. And if that meant that I needed to go and eat other types of foods that I had to entertain that possibility. I mean, that day hasn't come yet. Yeah. I still feel great, 52, I'm still able to go out and kill it. And what this journey has taught me has, um, this journey has taught me so much. Like now my interest in this lifestyle and way of eating has expanded beyond the parameters of just, you know, my waistline and yeah. my personal sense of vitality to our collective responsibility to care for the well-being of our planet and all of these sentient animals that I think we can all agree uh, we don't treat so great, particularly in a factory farming uh, context. Yeah. Um, and to help people kind of better understand that and create a connection between the foods that we're eating and where they come from because the whole system is erected to prevent us from really being emotionally and um, intellectually connected to that process. I think that's a, that, that arc is really cool and natural and it's not like everyone comes into it probably for their own uh, reasons and on their own path. Um, yours, that moment walking up the stairs, <clears throat> so it, it's such a focused moment. What about those of us, I'll put myself in this category, knock on wood, mm -hmm. no health scares, feel good. How do you tap into a thing that you don't even know you're missing? Yeah, I mean, that's like, that's the secret sauce right yeah. there. Um, and again, I wish I had a pithy answer for that, because for me, pain's really been the only, like, yeah. when I'm in enough pain, like, then I can move the needle and yeah. I can make the changes, right? And the yeah. big changes that I've made in my life have been a result of being in a tremendous amount of pain. Yeah. But let's square that with the understanding and the realization that those changes and those choices are always available to us. We need yeah. not suffer in order to avail ourselves of what they have to offer. So how can we make the choice without the suffering, right? Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> you know very I mean? proactive of yeah, it's like, I don't know. That's hard, yeah, like who does that? You know what I mean? Tim um, Ferriss. <laughs> right, yeah, I guess certain, certain uh, alien humans yeah. are able to do that. Um, but I think it's about, um, it's about, it goes back to that mind-body-soul connection. It's about being present with who you are. And I think meditation is really the superpower skill that can create a sense of awareness to be in a situation to make that choice. Yeah. You know, because I think we're all visited with like whether it's the moment I decided to go to rehab or that line in the sand moment of like, I'm changing my, like who would have thought that a staircase episode and a decision to like change my diet would deliver me to sitting next to you to do this. Sh it's like, it's insane, right? You can't imagine or predict these things. But I think that we're all visited with these moments. Yeah. And if you're paying attention, if you're present with yourself, you're more likely to be aware yeah. when they are, when they descend upon you, as opposed to 
blindly reacting to your environment and just bumping up against what what is happening, you know, and then yeah. missing the gift and allowing it to pass. Yeah, that awareness, self-awareness, mindfulness, meditation, that whole space has been transformational for me personally. Uh, I think it's, it's like you said earlier, I think you described it as a vehicle or a path or a, um, a grounding element to be able to be attuned to all that stuff, right? Well, I think a better, uh, yeah, agreed. And yeah. I think a, a, maybe a, a more concrete way of putting it is, if you're on the wrong path for yourself, the universe is gonna let you know. It's gonna knock another. softly at first, and if you're not listening, it's gonna start to knock louder and louder and louder. And if you continue to not pay attention, to not have the wherewithal yep. or the mindfulness to course correct, then you're gonna end up in a car crash, you know, some, a, a metaphorical one. Yeah. Like a, there's gonna be some, you know, situation that arises or cataclysm that is gonna force you to finally confront this thing that you're, you know, refusing to look at. So. The question becomes like, can you course correct when the knock is gentle? And again, it goes back to being aware. The yeah. more aware you are, the more present, the more mindful you are of your surroundings and yourself, the more likely you're, you're going to be to be able to take notice. Can I ask a couple more questions about yeah. the plant-based diet? Sure. What about blood type stuff? What's the, you know, is that shaky science or I'll just, like, I'm not a doctor, I'm yeah. not a nutritionist, and I'm not a scientist, and I don't play one on the internet, but I will tell you that I'm type O, which yeah, from I'm, what I understand is the, is the type that, that is supposed to eat meat. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, had no, so, I, I had never heard yeah. this. I, I find uh -huh. myself craving protein, uh -huh. and when I have protein, animal-based protein, I feel better. And again, this would be a psychology. I have not, I've done some plant-based only for some time, or uh -huh. I haven't done like the master cleanse or anything, I've right. done some small small versions of it. Um, I'm intrigued by the footprint on the planet, I'm intrigued yeah. by um, just balance and doing what's right, um, and also I can't get out of the cycle of like yeah. craving a hardcore dose of protein. So Cravings are, are unreliable narrators though at kay. times, I mean there is, undoubtedly a connection between the quality of your microbiome and the signals that are being sent to your brain that get translated into cravings. Uh -huh. So sometimes that craving is real. It's because your body really does need something. Salt and sometimes it's yeah. because your microbiome is saying, this is what we like, or it is just some you know habit that uh -huh. gets triggered where you're uncomfortable not sating it in that way. And I think to really understand the difference, you have to um, weather those cravings yeah. for a period of time, whether it's 30 days or something like that, to see how legitimate they really are. Yeah. And you know, only you know, and everybody's different. I'm the first person to say like, look, I can only speak from my own experience. Yeah. You know, I'm sharing from a place of, uh, you know, personal that, experience Yeah, it worked only. for me, yeah, it's right. great. So. Tell me a little bit about the cookbooks. I want people to be able to find, find them on the internet. Yeah, so uh, in the wake of writing Finding Ultra and Telling My Story, um, it seemed natural that the, the, the next book ought to be um, about food because food plays such a big role in my own personal evolution and what I've been able to do athletically and people were interested in how that works. So we wrote a cookbook called The Plant Power Way, which is very family friendly introductory primer to eating a plant-based diet with recipes that are super um, traditional, like potato salad and right. 
lasagna. Like it's there's this sense that if you're eating a plant-based diet, you're going to be crawling around in your yard, like you know, <laughs> chewing grass out of you know, like, or just eating salad and celery. And that's certainly not the way that I eat. Like I'm, you know, Hardy, I yeah. push my body. Like I'm very physically active, and I have a huge appetite. I need a lot of food, and I want to feel like those. What I'm putting in my in my mouth is going to stick to my ribs. Uh, so this book is sort of intended to serve that. And, and my wife is an incredible cook. They're all her recipes. And then we wrote another cookbook called The Plant Power Way Italia. We do these retreats in the Italian countryside every year. We take groups of 30 to 40 people through a seven-day experience that um, involves meditation and trail running and mindfulness and a lot of you know intense workshops, but of course also food and collaborating with the chefs of that region produced this amazing cookbook that um, is a plant-based spin on your favorite Italian amazing. recipes. Best place for people mm -hmm. to find and track you down on the internet? Um, easy to find, just you can Google my name or just richroll.com is my website base, where everything yeah. goes on. Uh, the podcast, uh, it's just the Rich Roll podcast wherever you listen to fine podcasts and they're available on YouTube as well. Amazing. So yeah. As is this, thank you so much for thank being you, a man. guest on my podcast. Thank, speaking I of podcast, it, and I'm looking forward to being on yours. We've already yeah. agreed it's happening. Yeah, 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 cool. Thank you so much for sharing your story, the insights, the vision. It's Thanks, been man. incredibly inspiring, yeah. and uh, I got work to do. <laughs> no, bad man. But I can tell you, it is an honor to to meet you and be on your show as as a, as a longtime fan of everything that you do and, and put out uh, into the world with with the highest degree of integrity. Uh, it's been a pleasure, Matt. Thank Thanks. you so much. And for everybody out there listening, check out Rich's stuff everywhere on the internet and thank you for tuning in. Hopefully see you, hear from you, you'll see me or whatever on the internet tomorrow. All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things. Um, actually, I'm gonna go three quick things. Thing one, A, thank you so much for being a part of this community. And I'm not quite sure how you, you landed on this podcast. It doesn't matter to me. The fact that we're all in this together and that we're able to have a conversation is awesome. I feel uh, honored to be in your ears right now and that uh, you've paid attention to what I've been doing, what Creative Live has been doing for some time. And whether it's been a day or 10 years, I just wanna say thank you. It's also really important to know on the backside of that that I, I do a lot of responding to comments. So hit me up, on, you know, direct message me on, on Instagram or Twitter or at me. I try and respond as much as possible. So let's have a conversation that transcends me just being in your ears here. Let's try and do it some, somewhere out there in, on the internet land. That's thing one. Thing two, again, I'm not quite sure what channels you pay attention to me and my work, but please go check out. I'm at Chase Jarvis or slash Chase Jarvis or whatever on all the platforms. And it's really important to me also, if you wouldn't mind checking out Creative Live. It's something that not only myself, but 120 other committed hardcore badass people come to work every day uh, to build the place where creators and entrepreneurs learn so check that out they're just slash creative live or at creative live all over out there on the internet all right until again uh, probably tomorrow i hope i'll hear you i'll be in your ears maybe tomorrow and i'll look for your comments on the internets bye <laughs>